0: Hail and well met traveler, welcome to the tavern. Did you know this is the place where more than half of the greatest adventures in history have begun? But before those adventurers took their first steps, they watched and calculated who would join their party. Why, look over there. There's a mighty barbarian from the Frozen Lands. Strong, mighty, full of honor and wisdom. I happen to know that one. They go by Matt Rossi. And look over there to the right. That woman working away on her mechanical dog. She's cunning, witty, and I've seen her bounce more than her fair share of ne'er-do-wells out of here before I can even blink. I happen to know that she goes by the name Liz Harper. And me? Oh, my name's Joe Perez. And I'll be your tavern keep. Welcome to Tavern Watch. Welcome, folks, to the first episode of Tavern Watch. I am crazy excited for this. And as you heard in the intro, uh, we are joined by uh, Matt Rossi and Liz Harper. Matt, Liz, how you guys doing today?
1: Apparently Um, I'm extremely mighty. (laughs) Cool. I could use some might.
0: Uh, I couldn't Uh, resist.
2: I I am also really excited to be here and be doing this. So try it.
0: Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is this is going to be very similar to some of the other podcasts that we've done. If you're familiar with some of our other work, round table, free form discussion, we're going to cover some highlights, news, uh, major topics, and hopefully questions from you, our listeners. Uh, And, we're going to be talking about tabletop games, uh, RPGs, anything in that sort of ilk. So if you have questions for us and you want us to answer it, um, be sure to send us an email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can go ahead and just specify if it's for this podcast, although I'm pretty sure by the content we'll, we'll know that it's for it, uh, but still specify. Uh, or be sure to uh, send us a question on our Discord server. Or we do have one set aside specifically for patrons, uh, and we do have ones for people that we know not everybody can be a patron. Uh, But we also look in the podcast and queue questions there for it. Um, And yeah, Liz, would you like to talk about our expanding coverage before we we go into the other stuff?
2: So, Freddie, we've always done, or for a long time, we've done a little experimenting with uh, off-topic coverage on Blizzard Watch. And really the first real hit we got there was Matt wrote a story about Pathfinder just because Matt wanted to write about Pathfinder. And a ton of people read it. Just, it, I was blown away by how many people in our readership responded to that. So we've done kind of a little bit more TTRPG stuff and D&D stuff as we, there, as, um, wow, that sentence
1: really went off the
2: rails. <laughs> um, we've kind of slowly done little bits of TTRPG stuff and a big focus on D&D, really, because D&D is pretty popular right now. Uh, And we are going to expand on that. And of course, this show is one of the ways we're expanding on that. We want everyone to know we do this stuff and we want to talk about it. We're really excited about it. We love playing these games. So we're going to be doing a bit more in that arena and kind of expanding over here. And I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: And the other real good thing about this particular podcast is all of us have varying degrees of experience as players and as DMs. So you're going to get a varied group of opinions or uh, just ideas and perspective as we go through it. And to that effect, I think we should maybe talk a little bit about ourselves, uh, how long we've been playing and, and and things like that. And since, Liz, you were the last one to speak, I'm going to start with you because, yes. <laughs> so tell tell everybody about your your tabletop experience.
2: Uh really, it's like super low. I've been playing D for maybe three years. Like not very long in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I started DMing a game for some of my Blizzard Watch friends, uh, you know, just this year, not that many months ago, which was basically I really wanted to play D D and no one, you know, we didn't have that one person who was going to DM and I was like, okay, if I DM this, will y'all play? And then we got like a party of five, like immediately. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, so, you've been doing a fantastic job and I know that well, I've been there and I know Matt has said this and now uh, since I'm going to be moving over to him soon too, uh, you've been doing great. Like for somebody who has only been playing for a, f- a few years, you're picking it up very, very quickly.
2: Uh, It has been a learning experience and considering I'm playing with really experienced, really creative people like Matt and Joe, it's been uh, it's been like a unique challenge, I suspect, to play with people who really go off the book and really have creative ideas.
0: All right. And Matt, how about yourself?
1: Um, I have actually never played D&D before. (laughs) Uh, No. um, Back when I was like I think I would have been nine, ten years old. So from 1981, 1980 my mother and I were in a store called Ann and Hope, which is a kind of department store in the Rhode Island, Massachusetts area, and they happened to have the uh, purple box for Basic Dungeons and Dragons, which, if you guys, it had a cover by Errol Otis. It's it's the basic set, and she saw it and thought, "This looks like something that would keep my kid occupied for a couple of minutes." And um, I was the kind of kid who did things like at one point I decided to see if I could make a time machine by taking a friend of my family's watch, cooking it up to the, the battery charger we used to charge batteries for our tractor and then the arc welder that we had and like cl- clamping the arc welder down on it to see what would happen. What happened was I blew up a transformer. So anything they could do to keep me occupied was a good idea. And so I was given this book. And I read through it. Uh, It actually was a box set with dice and a crayon to color in the dice. You had to do that back then. You had to, the dice that came with D&D were like all one color. And you had to use a crayon to color them in so you could see what number you were rolling. Mm -hmm. So it had one of those, um, the basic rule book, some some maps and stuff, some character sheets. And I, I wanted to play immediately. But we lived on a farm, so there wasn't anybody to play with. So I didn't actually get to play until like 1984 when i we moved back into town so i could go to school in town because the school on the island wasn't very good um so from 84 on i played for about three years and then i started running games so i've been running games since like 1988 um so i have been had this a long time i've had a couple of hiatuses along the way like i took a break uh for second edition because i wasn't i wasn't a big fan of ad and d second edition quite frankly i wasn't a big fan of ad and d um because it was too complicated and had too many rules that were restricted, and I didn't like that. I didn't like, well, you could, if you play a half-orc, you can only play these classes, and you can only have these stats. And I was like, this is dumb. What if I want to play a smart half-orc? What if I want to do something? So I I, I played mostly the original version of Dungeons Dragons, which had its own problems. Like the fact that Dwarf was a class.
0: And every monster only rolled a d6 for damage.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a weird but when 3rd edition came out i i really came back in in like full i, I was I, I basically came out of retirement although i had played ad and d i played quite a bit of it but i i had retired right around the time that 2nd edition came out cuz i wasn't super excited by it although there was stuff like the the character kits and my god i'm talking just to get to to get down to it played a lot in 3rd edition played a lot when pathfinder came out up uh, picked up fourth edition at first i really didn't like it but as time has gone on i think fourth edition is one of the better DDs. uh although it's it's better because it isn't really DD. like if they had given it a different name and, and marketed it as its own game mm-hmm. i think that fourth edition DD would still be like one of the most popular role-playing games out there it does a lot of things really well um but when fifth edition came out i i was like okay i'm gonna give this a shot and yeah, I've been playing it pretty much ever since. I've, I've play a lot of other games as well. Like I, My bookshelves are completely crammed full of other games that I've run and played. Um, just looking right now, I'm looking at my Primeval Fool book, my best at source book for White Wolf, uh, my Ravage Planet for uh, Brave New World. i got got like, a ton of stuff here. I, I like role-playing games. I've been playing them a long time. Uh, that's basically, I think that's the gist of what you need to know about me. I'm a really... I, I try to be like more of a when I play them and not run them, I try to be more of a role player than a dice roller.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like i don't I don't go for, you know, I'm gonna make my character absolutely perfect and it's gonna be like min max to the to the nines. I'll do stuff I think is interesting. And if that means I'm not as good in combat, that's what it means. But at the same time, I do play a lot of barbarians. you do. So barbarians tend to be like just <laughs> gore machines anyway. so it's that's why I'm playing a monk in this one because. I wanted to do something different, like something that, you know, I still like to to be up there and, and be doing the punching, but to be different than the barbarian, to be playing something else, to play something more cerebral. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's me. So now Joe will get to introduce himself.
0: Yeah, and uh, I've been at it a while, not necessarily as long as Matt, but I'm not also uh, as old as Matt is, not by much, but close enough. Um, I got my start in D&D randomly when I found my father's box set of D&D 1.0 stuff that he had stuffed away in his house, and he kind of explained it to me when I was like seven. Um And I was seven, so, like, I didn't really care. Um, But I cared about the part where he started talking about how it told stories and that you could start to craft stories with your friends. Uh, And I was super into, like, fantasy novels and and things like that when I was younger. Uh, Still am. But, like, I loved reading. I loved the idea of uh, fantastical worlds because, well, I could escape into them, right? So when I hit my teenage years, I actually started going to a local game store primarily to play Warhammer at first and Magic the Gathering. And I happened to notice that this one weekend, this one Saturday, uh, this group of college kids came in and they were playing uh, this game where they were laughing and rolling dice and, you know, taking on voices of characters and acting out things and pretending that they were like, you know, dwarf warriors or whatever the case was. Uh, and then I recognized the book and they were using, uh, it was AD&D second edition at the time. Um, and I kept watching and watching. And then eventually I just started showing up on the same days to sort of, kind of get a feel for what they were doing. And so one day the DM looked over to me uh, and I will never forget it. Cause it was Dan Harms who at the time was writing for chaosium. He was doing Cthulhu stuff. Uh, and this was like his release thing was like, Hey, do you want to play? And I was like, uh, okay. And that was sort of the beginning of the end uh, because I got into a character and I played the stereotypical dwarf fighter and uh like had a good time and started learning about it and then third edition came out shortly thereafter and that was the end of it like me and my friends like bought all the books started getting into it started crafting our own things and and I always cared more about the story that was being told than the dice that was being rolled. I didn't care if I could, you know, roll 12d12 damage on something, but was everybody having a good time? Were we all telling the story? Were we getting sucked into it? Were we invested? Uh, And that sort of started informing what I started looking for as... Uh, a game runner. So like, like Matt on my shelf, I have all these different game systems. It's not just D and D. Uh, I have Monster of the Week and Masks and I have a whole bunch of GURPS. I have Tales from the Floating Vagabond. I have all these weird oddities because I just collected them. Uh, and I played them all, and they all had different things to offer, and they all had cool, different ideas. And eventually, it wound up everything about them filtered into how I run my games now. And if you've been listening to our our monthly campaign uh, where we're doing my game world of Otherworld, that's how Otherworld started. It was me deciding that player actions should have long standing consequences in the game world, and that time can advance. And there's and that's what I wanted to do personally. So even when I'm trying to you know be a player in a game i try to approach it from how am, how is my character interesting to the story how does my character advance things along uh and it's it just sort of kind of fell into place so that's me in a nutshell i i like telling stories <laughs> so here's here's me in a nutshell
1: let me out of this <laughs> nutshell
0: ah <laughs> uh, that's a classic joke uh but i think and that that sort of all of our our perspective uh backgrounds is sort of why we wanted this do this podcast um we all have different views and different things that we bring to the table When we're running our games like playing in matt's games they're just it's like a fever dream and i absolutely adore it like you don't know what's going to happen uh i love playing in liz's yeah. game because like liz is getting that that balance and cadence of of like what it is to be a dm uh and it's it's very cool to see sort of how different people approach it and we thought it might be interesting for you guys to sort of have uh some of that perspective as well
1: And since he's not going to say it, Joe is much of is very much a yes and DM. Oh yeah, he he'll let you do whatever it is you want to do, and then he will show you what the consequences of you doing that are. (laughs) Uh, So it is an interesting play style as well. Um, But we think we should probably swing into talking about some of the stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, you know, gets to go first. I think we should let Liz go first.
0: So I mean, do we want to talk about? And I'll let Liz make the decision. Do you want to talk about upcoming book releases?
2: I think, yeah, talk about the upcoming books, because that's been kind of, at least in D&D, that's been the really big news this month, is we had D&D live, was it a week ago or two weeks ago?
0: Two weeks ago at this point. Two weeks ago,
1: yeah.
2: Um, You had that
1: other thing that happened this week, uh, so yeah.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say the, the, the uh, there's a ton of weird situations going on, and also in the uh, the tabletop realm. But I mean, the next book that's coming out, I think they announced during it was uh, the Wild Beyond the the Witchlight. Is that
1: right? Uh, that that actually they announced that first. They announced the uh, Wild Behind the Witchlight and the Strixhaven book around the same time. And they announced the most, those
2: a yeah, while the, ago, but the we, most recent we... one was
1: the Dragon Book, Fizbin's, uh Treasury of Dragons. You're so, saying, Liz.
2: So three books are coming up. The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which is an adventure set in the Feywild. Uh, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, which is a new source book that has all things dragon. And uh, Strixha- Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, which is another source book uh, that's completely set in a new D&D world. A world that came from Magic the Gathering. And I know a lot of people are really hyped about that in particular. Uh the Wild Beyond the Witchlight is coming out first on September 21st.
0: And what is the Wild Beyond the Witchlight uh, adventure going to be like? What I think you have the most uh, up-to-date knowledge on that one, Liz.
2: I mean, I actually think Matt might because he oh, wrote really? the post about it. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Matt. All right, then.
1: Uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight is a lot of things. First off is it's kind of an attempt to expand the way that the path of the Feywild works because it's the first Feywild adventure in 5th edition, like, this is the first time. The Feywild and the Shadowfell are both concepts from 4th edition mm-hmm. that have been brought forward. They haven't really done a Feywild book up to this point, so it's the first one for that. And one of the interesting things they did was, with uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, they basically made the Domains of Dread from Ravenloft part of the Shadowfell. Which makes a
0: certain amount like, of sense.
1: Yeah, because, the you know, Domains of Dread, where the you know, shadowy things happen. Um, they basically like said that the realms of of the domains of dread exist in the shadowfell, and they each have like you know one like one lord that rules them. The lords can be you know anything; it doesn't, it's not restricted to dudes. It just it happens to be the title they use. in In this book, the Feywild, we find out they have a thing called domains of delight, which are each ruled by an archfey. So there's kind of the opposite of the the Ravenloft situation. You've got these. Powerful, capricious beings—they're not malevolent, but that doesn't mean they like you or want you to do well. Mm -hmm. They're in it for themselves and what they find interesting. So that's the first thing—that's that's that's a big breakout on the on the whole Feywild. It's a new thing. There's also a carnival—the the the Witchlight Carnival—and the interesting thing about the Witchlight Carnival, which is going to feed into the adventure, is that the carnival in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and the carnival from this book, when they meet the owners of each carnival trade off. So the last time those two carnivals met, the, the leaders of this Witchlight Carnival, uh, Mr. Mister Light and Mr. Mr. Witch, traded places with the people who are running the, the, the Ravenloft one right now. And they don't ever want to meet them again. They don't want to have to go back to Ravenloft. So they're trying really hard to avoid that. So that's a big part of like the, the Witchlight Carnival, is this idea that the two people in charge of it uh, these mysterious forces are desperate to avoid ever meeting the people that that run the other carnival ever again. They're trying really hard to not do that. The other thing that's cool about it is that the Witchlight Carnival has a lot of stuff, and one of the things it has, if you've ever seen the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon from the '80s, <laughs> the opening where the kids get on a, on a ride mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and end up getting sucked into the world of D and D, that ride is on the map yeah. of the Witchlight Carnival. I saw that I, implying that that was the, the Witchlight Carnival ended up in 1980s Southern California a bunch of kids got on it and got sucked into the Feywild and they've been having D&D adventures in the Feywild ever since. It it makes and me wonder
0: the, if we're going to see like the War Duke or Strongheart or something like that come back. We know we are.
1: We are. All of them. Uh yeah, all three. Oh, of them. That's awesome. War Duke, Strongheart, and Kellick are all coming back. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah. Uh, Wardrug is actually, of the three, he's the one who's got the most recurring. He's come back in every edition so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't,
1: I don't know if he came back in fourth, but he came back in second, and he came back in third. Uh, in fact, he had a really big glow up in third edition.
0: Yeah, that's uh, he, he he leveled up between editions, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah.
1: He was like the 18th level in third edition. Yeah, he was, he was significant. I used him against a party at one point, and he wrecked them. A party of like 10th to 12th level characters, he wrecked them all of them. He was he was extremely dangerous. Uh, but Warduke, the reason Warduke keeps coming back is quite simply because he looks cool. And that's basically it. He has no personality or character at all. Yeah, he has no He background. just looked, yeah. They keep making up new ones for him, but they don't matter. The important thing is he looks cool. Strongheart, he is just a paladin. He has a very standard paladin. Uh, but he appeared in the in the cartoon as well as had a toy. All three of these characters had toys in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, they did. Uh, and Kellick the <laughs> evil sorcerer also appeared in the cartoon. So...
0: technically you can still get those toys by the way because they re-released them recently like yeah
1: and because i think uh, hasbro owns kenner now i think or something like that yeah i'm not sure how it works but the, the, the toys do exist again you can get them um but that's the other thing is that in addition to all that there is actually an adventure in this book we don't know much about what the adventure is but we know it's based around the witch lake caravan it's based around the idea of the caravan going in and out of the feywild and it's sort of a it, as opposed to Ravenloft and the carnival there, which is much more of a gothic horror type thing mm-hmm. uh, with the Vistani and them, you know, they, them having done more to make the Vistani not just a stereotype race. They, they've worked really hard to make Vistani characters who are heroic and who don't do, you know, don't do stereotyping. The Vistani are important and they're a big part of, of Ravenloft and they're a big part of that carnival, that caravan. But in the Witchlight books, the carnival is... Essentially, it's the way into and out of the Feywild. It's a means for characters who otherwise couldn't get there to get there. Th- and it mm. travels because it travels in and out of the Feywild, and it travels in and out of various domains of delight. There's sort of it's 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 very much a Ray Bradbury's uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes type thing, where there's a bit of menace. There's a bit of like Mister Light is kind of like an opposite version of Mister Dark from that book that story, and there's very much that idea of. Yes, this stuff is magical and amazing, but that doesn't make it safe. And that's kind of where they're going with this. So it's an adventure, but it's like it's kind of similar to when they did Baldur's Gate, uh, you know, descent into a module. It's a module that is kind of like a campaign for you if you want to run it that way. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's it's going to be amazing. Just just for all the weird stuff they're pulling back in, like I and we still don't know what else they're going to pull back in. But they specifically put War Duke, Strongheart, and Kellic on the. The solicit like they're mentioned up front so yeah i'm thinking there's gonna be some weird stuff in this game
0: and i'm i'm sort of all about that life like the Fay wilds is always one of those things that i've i've always loved in concept and um they've done kind of mentioned it before fourth edition before the edition is one that was like codified and real and a place you could go to and there were actual rules on how you got there and could like how you had to leave and, and things like that um and it was really really nifty and neat um and then in 5th edition, I was very curious when they were actually going to pull the trigger and do it, because uh, third-party competitors have been making this type of content. Like, Cobalt Press has a book that's dedicated pretty much specifically to uh, the Feywilds. Um, and something like this, I think, is really nifty, especially with the Carnival as well, because one of the, the things that, for those of you that don't know what the Wilds are, uh, with it being another plane of existence and having subdivisions and, and sort of oddities about it... Um, getting into it and getting out of it were always uh, a questionable thing unless you used high-level magic and even then you had to hope you did it right uh so finding gateways or portals or ways to get from the prime material plane to the fey wilds essentially uh or any of the other planes into the fey wilds because a lot they have a planar cosmology uh if you're not well-versed in like D dnd uh but you are versed in like warcraft or something like that very similar with like the different planes of existence these different circles of influence that sort of touch at certain points and or overlap or, or whatever the case is uh and so like i think this is really cool uh and also the idea of it tying in with the shadowfell uh, and having sort of that connection to ravenloft is super neat as well like i'm I wasn't super excited about this because I was like, "Oh, whatever, it's going to be Morphe Wild stuff." There's been, you know, third party books or whatever. But hearing you talk about it and like now, I'm like super excited, and I'm probably going to pick it up.
2: I really think it's interesting how it's how they set this up as like a mirror of the Shadowfell, which I don't. Was it like that before? Was it kind of was? Yeah, it was something that was
1: kind of always there. What I really liked was they even made the point that. Just like this, both Shadowfell and Feywild are planes of existence, right? They're they're not like not everybody is bumping up against each other. All the Ravenloft domains of dread exist, but so does the Raven Queen, and the mm-hmm. Raven Queen doesn't interact with them because they're literally nowhere near each other. It would be like if if you have you know one of them lives in like Siberia and the other lives in a, in like Alaska, then they right. they'd interact. But if one lives in Siberia and the other lives in Australia. They're not going to see each other, and it's since it's not a globe, it's like a plane of existence. They can be infinitely far from each other. Like there's no physical way to get from the Raven Queen's domain to, say, Strahd von Zarovich's house. You'd have to use magic to travel there, and it's just it's cool to see them doing that with both the Shadowfell and the Feywild, making them like sort of opposites of mm-hmm. each other, but also reflections of each other, and that's that's pretty cool in my opinion and i think
0: it might be a response to some of the the mainstream media campaigns that have been going on uh, for podcasts and, and live play on like Twitch and, and and stuff like that, because over the last year, I've seen a lot of adventures or heard a lot of adventures that wound up like spending time in the Shadowfell or in the Wilds and sort of like the interplay between them. So I'm wondering if maybe this is partially them responding and saying, hey, people very clearly want this content and maybe they're actually paying attention. And there you go. Like, and if that's the case, super thumbs up for me, because like, those are areas that I would love to explore. Uh, the other book that we were talking about before, which is the one that comes after it, was The Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. And now, uh, Liz, I remember you were kind of going uh, very excitedly over a very specific monster that was previewed from it. <laughs> I believe.
2: Um, yeah, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons is coming out in October. And uh, I was watching, they announced it at D&D Live, so this is pretty recent. And it just as we don't know everything that's in it, uh, we know gem dragons are coming back. But one of the things that they teased in the announcement, with just like a mention of it, is that there's a dragon horde mimic. So like a dragon <laughs> horde that's also a mimic. So it's like, let's say you go in, you fight the dragon, you're like, Whew, got rid of that guy. That was really hard fight. Now we get all this treasure, and the treasure's a mimic. The treasure's like a giant mimic. I mean, that would be glorious and terrible. I love it. Well, I mean, and it's such, a, it's such a ridiculous idea. But I love it because
0: of that. Like, it's like, we yeah. just
1: got done beating this ancient black dragon. Let's go touch his horde. Oh, God, why is the horde eating me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's if you're lucky enough that the horde stays still during the fight and doesn't, like, get hit by something and come up at you while you're trying to fight a dragon. Oh,
2: gosh. Which is like,
1: oh, no. It's funny because uh, in the past I've done when I've done dragons, I've actually had lair actions mm-hmm. that were like the horde falls on you. I've never actually had the horde outright attack people, but I've had the horde like, you know, yeah. there's a dragon attacking people from on top of a giant pile of gold. Some of the gold's going to get down on people and gold is heavy. But yeah, now actually having the horde be the best part is like the dragon knows there's a mimic inside as part <laughs> of its goal. It's horde, but it's like, yeah, it's whatever. It's it's an extra level of security, really.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I think it's also interesting that they're bringing back uh, gem dragons because th- this is the first time that they've been talked about since third edition, I think, actually. Um, yeah, I think so. And so, like, in gem dragons were alternate li- like, versions of, like, you had your chromatic dragons. So you have your your white, your blue, your, your black, your red. Uh, and your green dragons and they all have their various different uh just domains. you know as you're
1: talking I'm flipping open my copy of third edition draconomicon to look
0: <laughs> it at that I I could legitimately go grab it off my shelf right now as well. Um but that was one of I guess I should talk about that. In the Draconomicon, like things like Dragonborn and stuff like that started as a concept in those types of books lineage of dragons. Um, and that was where these subtypes of dragons were introduced. So you have like amethyst dragons, emerald dragons Sapphire Dragons, Topaz Dragons Crystal Dragons, Obsidian Dragons uh, and they have different types including Psionics so there were actual psionic dragons. And the cool thing about this is this opens up the possibility of expanding that now to not just dragons, but dragonborn as well as something that could be uh, modified or adjusted to expand the type of dragons that they can claim lineage from. So I'm super excited for that uh, because that was always just so so fun. Like, oh, is this a black dragon? We're gonna- oh, no, that's an obsidian dragon. Uh <laughs> that's that's bad, that's real bad, that's super bad, that's a psionic beast, why is my brain melting? Like, <laughs> it, it was just a lot of fun, and I like the idea of expanding upon that, because for a game called Dungeons & Dragons, there's been a surprisingly small amount of adventures that actually center around dragons since uh, the Dragon Queen book. <laughs> the
1: problem with that is, quite frankly, usually if a dragon shows up, it's really bad. Usually, and, yes. Yeah, I've, I've seen dragons wipe out more than one campaign. So I get why they don't necessarily show up all the. them. Well, I, I think in 5th edition,
0: though, too, they've, they've gone through some steps to sort of, I don't want to say knock that down, but with the different classifications of dragons. And I'm wondering if they're going to do this with the gem dragons as well. So, like, you can have young, adult, or ancient dragons in 5th edition. And yeah, but you had that
1: the, in 3rd edition, too, and still I, I remember young dragons still rocking people. But even then,
0: the the power level, I think, has been knocked down a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, because fifth edition tends to be like they—they they kind of very deliberately made fifth edition to kind of be like five to fifteen from old D and D as the entire range in fifth edition. And there's still problems. Like the first few levels of of fifth edition are still pretty weak. And then once you get up to about sixteenth level and above, you're still getting ridiculous. Um, but but it's it is more balanced than third edition. Yeah, So
0: it's not going to be instant death, but I'm excited to see that. Was there anything else that they talked about with the preview from that, Liz? Any other creatures or or anything else?
2: I mean, they did talk about Mind Flayer dragons, which is going to be super interesting and really creepy, potentially. Um, And uh, one of the things they didn't really... Well, at least I don't recall them talking about much when they announced it. uh, Was the new kinds of dragonborn, which were recently part of an Unearthed Arcana... And yep. so, yeah, you assume these things from the unearthed arcana are going to just are going to suddenly appear in this treasury dragon's book. And actually, they had an unearthed arcana that kind of hit on Feywild stuff too recently. Um, was that yeah. the one with rabbit folk
1: and owl folk? Technically, the owl folk are appearing in Strix in the, the, okay. the Strixhaven, Strixhaven setting. Yeah, but they were in that they were in that Arcana unearthed. I mean, the unearthed Arcana. Yeah, they absolutely were. Um, both the rabbit folk are now called the Harringon as a joke. You know, here and <laughs> gone. So the Harringon are are going to be in the Feywild, and the the owl the Owlin who are originally from Strixhaven in Magic the Gathering. They're going to be the owl folk that we saw are going to be the Owlin from that. So they're going to appear in Strixhaven. So, yeah, the, the, they, they actually have been doing a lot of Unearthed Arcana for stuff from these books.
0: Which I think is also good because Unearthed Arcana, for those of you that don't know, uh, that is sort of like the test ground for what they release. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, it follows the same sort of testing ground that they went through when uh, D&D 5, uh, 5th edition was still called D&D Next, um, where it's released. It's alternate content. Players are, are asked for feedback. Uh, if you're a member of the DMs Guild or DriveThruRPG, uh, you can submit feedback and they do look through that and they try to, to make some adjustments and balance it so that they can give players and keep more stuff and keep expanding the world. Uh, and I think that's really, really cool, especially because I'm always a fan of peer-reviewed things. Uh, and seeing some of this stuff happen is just super exciting. Uh, especially when they can pull on some of their other properties like the Alken and from, from a
2: uh, so the Unearthed Arcana about dragons um, introduced a lot of new types of dragonborn, uh, like there, and they sound really interesting and fun. There's chromatic dragonborn, metallic dragonborn, uh, gem dragonborn.
0: Mm-hmm. Which there it is.
2: Are yeah, yeah. So this is probably all going to show up in the Treasury of Dragons book in some form, and it's all really, really interesting. And these sound really powerful. Like, um, they learn spells just because of their race. They have specific spells like metallic dragons, no cure wounds. Mm -hmm. So you could be like a fighter and have cure wounds. Uh, just all of these interesting options.
0: And I mean, that's, and, and for those of you at home, that's not an uncommon thing. Like, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I have a character who's primarily a fighter who has access to things like, um, pass without trace because of, yeah, of character you can, take a,
1: you can take a discipline feat or yeah, if you're a certain race. Yeah, there's, there's stuff like that indeed. So it's it's
0: really nifty to see that they're expanding that a little bit more and making it something. And I think Matt and I have talked about this before and I'm actually curious to get Liz's uh, opinion on it. We were never really a big fan of like traditional racial traits and the idea that they sort of opened it up and let you sort of like have access to all of that stuff as you see fit um, and adding things like this, I think, makes more sense than the traditional racial traits because it's it while it is a racial trait. It's more flavorful, I think, like having metallic dragons have cure wounds that that's flavorful that's that's something that's interesting and different it's not the traditional oh elves hate dwarves or something like or
1: that. or the fact that they used to just always be like back in the day it was even worse because it would be like you know you're playing a half orc or you get a bonus to strength but a penalty to intelligence and, mm-hmm. and charisma which means like in fifth edition if you were playing a half orc it's like great i got a plus two to my strength i'm playing a wizard <laughs> that's great that's really useful hey my half orc card
0: was very useful
1: <laughs> no but it's it's uh, people felt Pushed to yeah. pick the races that had the bonuses they wanted, and I, I, I'm gonna. I think we should let Liz talk about it because we want to get her reaction. Uh, mm-hmm. But you, you know that they changed it in Tasha's, right?
2: Right. They they added the option to customize your stats however you wanted in uh, Tasha's Culture and of everything, which was released a year ago somewhere in there.
1: Has it been that long uh, already? already? Yeah, I've got
0: a
2: copy right oh. here. Yeah, it's been a little while.
0: Yeah, but I mean, and I'm happy that they did that personally because I, uh, I yeah. I like the idea of letting your players choose and kind of be whatever they want.
2: Well, and also the thing is about D&D characters, okay, you're not like an average grunt soldier. You're going to be like this big, exciting hero. And it it makes sense that your character can be unique. They can be an oddity. You're the orc that instead of going out and fighting and brawling, you stayed home and read books and you learned wizard stuff. And it was really exciting. That's what you... So it allows this uniqueness that
1: uh, November twenty. You
2: didn't get.
0: Wow. Yeah, it has been almost. But, but and I think you're I think you're hitting the nail on the head too. Like because I think that uniqueness is is really important. Uh, a lot of players out there. Like like I said, I at one point I was playing a half orc bar, uh, bard, not a fighter, not a barbarian, nothing like that. No, he wa- he just wanted to play a loot. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to play a loot. It was cool. Uh, You know, and he wanted to play power chords because
1: that was just what he just liked music. Um, One of the streams I like to watch, and I recommend it. By the way, guys, if you're looking for a D and D stream, uh, the people from outside Extra and outside Xbox do a do a relatively regular stream called the uh, Ox Ventures Guild, and uh, it's it's very much for the perspective of people who net who had not played D and D before, like they just started playing D and D for this thing and. They are being run by somebody who knew the game, but they, they didn't themselves know much about it. Now, over time, it's been going on since 2017, so they have learned the game since. But one of the things I liked was that when they started, they had a half-orc bard, you know? That's just... He was a half-orc bard, and he didn't care that it wasn't ideal stat-wise.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And that's... You know, I like that now you don't have to worry about what's ideal stat-wise. You don't have to, like... Um, for example, I'm playing a bard... One of my... Uh, My favorite characters. I'm not playing her at the moment because that campaign seems to have died, but I was playing a a dwarf barbarian, a mountain dwarf. I played a mountain dwarf instead of a shield, like a a hill dwarf, because mountain dwarves get plus two to strength. But now, if I'm playing that mountain dwarf, I could play anything because they can get the plus two anywhere. So if I want to play something really charismatic, I can do that. I can just put the plus two into charisma instead. And I think that's really cool. That is that is a good way to go with it. And then, of course, then having, like, your special powers and stuff tied to your race, it, it's, it gives you something that is, you know, unique to them, but doesn't, you know, make you not... No one's going to say, well, I have to play a, a metallic dragonborn fighter because I've got to get Cure Wounds. You know, Cure Wounds is nice to have, but fighters have a ton of stuff to heal themselves, and most fighters aren't going to think to heal other people. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, I'm pretty down for it.
0: And I think the the last book that they announced, which is going to be coming out on November 16th, is the d and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. Um, I think I'm the one that's the most excited about that, but do you guys have anything you want to say on that before I, I go in? I'll take silence uh, as consent.
2: Oh. Uh, Yeah, go for it. This was... I mean, it's kind of a magic school, right? And I was kind of like, yeah, magic school, whatever.
0: (laughs) It is a a magic school, but it's not a magic school in the sense of like what you think it is is it this is magic college and it's ramped up to 11 Uh, it started it started as a magic the gathering setting which was a lot of fun Um, but there are different specialties in this school of magic that harken back to uh, like you would expect to see in old school AD&D second edition but brought back to a more modern sensibility Uh, and it's a multiverse school not just a school that exists on a single plane of existence Uh, so so Strixhaven it, it sort of operates as a nexus between all these different worlds uh, where all the best magical minds and students from across the multiverse come to study with professors who have gone on adventures uh, and been part of, of titanic battles in, in uh cataclysmic events uh throughout all the different planes of existence um but the thing is is you're not just there as a student it is a dangerous place because again it touches all of those planes so yeah there's some campus hijinks as you know you would expect in one of those 1980s uh movies about college but Mm -hmm. it's also one of those things where yeah your your doormate may have just wound up being dead by a Vampire that's stuck on campus or something along those lines. It's really, really cool. And it takes the five different colleges. Um, and I can't remember them off the top of my head because the only one that I really ever really got super heavy into was the Lorehold one for, well, reasons. Um, but you get to explore... All of that here. And it's not just a source book for the different schools of magic and bringing in the uh, the the Owlkin race. It's also an adventure where after you choose your college and all that other stuff, there are four adventures in this book uh, that can be played together or you can slot them into uh, your existing campaigns very much like Candlekeep does where you are not just learning and going through it, but each adventure is supposed to represent a year of your college. And so you're working through your four year magical degree while going on all these adventures and dealing with all of that stuff. Um, and so like the the pitch is just absolutely great to me. It's, you know, it's a multi-year campaign players begin as a first year student who study, socialize and adventure their way to graduation. And that's part of your curriculum is going on adventures and figuring stuff out. Um, it introduces the idea of extracurricular activities, jobs, Uh, academic challenges that can be used as puzzles uh, for players and DMs to sort of like move into it Um, and I really 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 like that idea Um, it reminds me a lot of there's a uh, Savage Worlds game called East Texas University and part of that whole thing it's like Scooby-Doo in college but part of that whole thing is in order to level up it's built in that you have to pass your exams Uh, and it's Kind of interesting how that sort of plays out, and I like that idea sort of being transported here. So there's a whole bunch of new creatures being introduced, a bunch of NPCs, um, and there's going to be a bunch of new feats and backgrounds, new spells, new magic items, and I'm always excited when that happens, especially at this time because they're cross-pollinating. While Dungeons & Dragons is getting uh this version from Magic of the Gathering Magic of the Gathering is actually getting forgotten realms transported to it uh and sort of introducing players on both sides that maybe haven't considered it already to the cool lore and stories and creatures and ideas from the various games. So I'm really excited for Strixhaven, not just because I think it's going to be good, but I like what they're trying to do. I like that. They're trying to expand the audience by sort of moving into their own products on other sides of the, uh, the fence. Cause traditionally in magic the gathering players and D and D players, there is a cross section but like for traditional years, they've been sort of at odds with each other. So like giving them a bone from each is like, hey, why don't you take a look at what the other side's actually doing, and maybe you find something cool. Maybe you find a new game. Maybe you find a new hobby. So I'm super excited for that.
1: I will admit that I was actually a little disappointed that one thing that was in the Unearthed Arcana didn't make it. Um, I'm looking at it right now, and I, d- I, don't, I don't know how to talk about this. First off, the colleges are Lorehold College, Prismari College, uh, Witherbloom College, silverquill college and quandrix college Thank and each you. has like a quandrix is a math magic uh silverquill is kind of like about being really good at talking being eloquent and charming Witherbloom is like the whole life and death meeting aspect uh prismari is burn burn it burn it all uh <laughs> and lorehold college is you know let's be joe um so they had a subclass as they were trying out uh, liz and i had talked about this at, at length they were basically what you could call multi-class subclasses mm-hmm. where instead of a subclass that's specific to a class, uh, you could be in like Lorehold college if you were a bard or a wizard, you know, and, and that way you could like, you could basically, it was bard, warlock and wizard could be in Lorehold. And then another one was like wizard, sorcerer and warlock. And another would be board, bard, sorcerer, wizard and what have you. And, not to do this and i get why they decided not to do it because a lot of people reacted to this like well this isn't very like subclasses should feel like they're part of the class not just anybody can be in this thing
2: i think there was a real definite objection about warlocks because how can you be a warlock without having a warlock patron yeah because this yeah the subclass would kind of replace that
1: Uh uh-huh and i mean i i felt like that wasn't really that big a deal in my opinion, because you could just say I'm literally, my patron is the concept of magic itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, and I'm directly, you know, I made a deal with magic and, you know, <laughs> and I, if you can make a deal with all these other weird things, why, why not, not magic? You know? Yeah. But they, a lot of warlock players seemed really like, you know, that's not a warlock and Okay. You know, I, I don't agree with you, but I get what you're saying. And I think that Wizards were like, well, you know, people who play Warlocks don't want this. You know, and if they, if we're not going to do it, then what are we going to do instead? So I thought that was kind of interesting. These these books, it's it's interesting because D&D is making a real push this year. Because this is like a, a fair amount of books to be all coming out right around the same time. Last year we had Theros. We had uh, Which was Tasha's. also a magic
0: setting, by the way.
1: Yeah. Although, I got to say, they did a really good job of making Theros feel completely not related to magic. They did. Like, yeah, it's it just feels like its own campaign setting. It's it's really well done. Um so yeah. I, I do I do understand why they made that change. I get why they, they did it, but I do also feel like the multi class subclass idea was an interesting one that I would have liked to see get more than it did. But then again it, it kind of took it back to feeling like a prestige class. Because mm-hmm. back in third third edition you had prestige classes which was like After you hit level twenty you could keep leveling. No, 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 no. That's epic level. That's I different. thought that was prestige classes no. were also like that. No, no, no. That's there were epic level prestige classes, but that's that's a different thing. With a prestige class, the way it worked was let's say you wanted to be in this class that was a prestige class, like we'll call it the Assassin of the Blood Order. It would have prerequisites you needed to get in. And it would be like you need to have at least this high in attack bonus. Or, you know, you need to know have these skills or you have to have these oh, feats. Oh,
0: that's right, yeah. And you have to so, meet the prerequisites. That's yeah. right. Yes. And
1: so some of them would like be much easier if you were playing a rogue. But theoretically a mage could get in. Like a mage could take up that prestige class. If it wasn't a spell classing one, the, the wizards aren't gonna want it. But there were there were certain classes that actually had spell levels that added in and so forth. And anybody could get in them if they could meet the prerequisites. Which usually ended up happening was Everybody would take like two levels of fighter because two levels of fighter would get you like four feats and those four feats you could use to meet the prerequisites. So you'd have a character who was like rogue, rogue three fighter two, assassin of the blood order, like for 10 levels. Uh, And that's the kind of thing that they did. They, I, they clearly don't want to go back to that. I feel like they felt like prestige classes diluted the game. I'm not arguing they're wrong, but I did like the idea of subclasses that didn't necessarily Limit you in class that you could do this As a bard or you could do this as a Druid and you'd have completely different Ways of doing it but it would they both Worked so I, I I'm on the fence about that. I kind of wish they'd kept going. But.
0: I mean, they might still. There's still opportunity because like we there's rumors about Greyhawk book coming out. There's rumors about a, an official like actual Forgotten Realms compendium being pushed out. Um, they have the opportunity if they ever decide to go back to it that they could do something like that. And I, yeah, I'm maybe. with you. I think I think that would be really cool for them to introduce it maybe as his own standalone thing because. Now that you when you started mentioning it, I started remembering there was like pages upon pages upon pages of prestige classes. Uh oh, yeah. Between all the different supplements, between all the different magazines that were out at the time.
1: Oh yeah, there were there were too many. I yeah. out, I'll say it. There were way too many. Yeah.
0: Um but yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. I'm excited for the content that's coming out because I'm always I'm always here for more content. I'm always here for more D&D and for more settings to be released and more information because I think it makes it easier for players to find something they like and find groups that they like or DMs to find a game that they like or content that they want to pilfer or whatever the case is. Uh, it just makes the game more appealing to a larger audience and I'm always about that. I think I want more people to play. I want more people in this hobby. Yeah, I want to share what I love. <laughs> All right. Uh,
1: I want to like I have something I want to talk about. I don't know how much time we have. We so have I want to see Liz. Liz, do you have something you want to yeah. talk about before I do? No, go for it. All right. I want to talk about the fact that um, d d has been making strides on the idea of inclusiveness and, and getting rid of some old cruft in terms of ideas about race and so forth. But they are way behind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the game that is absolutely crushing it on this front is Pathfinder. Pathfinder 2nd Edition has done everything D&D is trying to do now from the get-go, and they did it in a much more organic way, where the, the way character creation works in Pathfinder, it totally is different. Um, they have a thing called Ancestries instead of Race, uh, which is clearly what D&D is, is flat-out stealing. I'll just say it. They are stealing it oh, for, yeah. for what they're doing in Tasha's. Uh, but Pathfinder presented it from the get-go. It's really good. They, they have that whole thing where... The ancestry doesn't; it gives you a specific bonus, but that you can put anywhere. Like it's like you can put it in this stat or anywhere you want. Uh, and they did that with with that, and from the beginning, it's 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 actually pretty effective. The other thing they're doing is they're putting out books where they really challenge a lot of the baggage of old cultural ideas. One of the m- books they put out recently is called uh, uh, "Lost Omens: Mwangi expanse and it is basically an African-themed D and experience and it's because pathfinder and D are pathfinder basically is D. it's just it's like an alternate universe where D went this way instead of that way well it, it, started, it's like they it both, started
0: on the bones of 3.5 didn't it? Like, yeah, it yeah they
1: both come yeah they both came out of 3, 3.5 pathfinder kept 3.5 going when D went to fourth edition and then when D went to fifth edition a lot of people who worked on fourth edition went over to paizo and worked on pathfinder <laughs> So Pathfinder 2 is, is also influenced by 4th edition in quite a few ways. But like if you read the Mwangi Expanse, it is they are making great strides just in terms of like saying, play whatever you want. Uh, you can play as any race, like any human race you want. N- none of that should matter. Any gender, including non-traditional gender experiences. Uh, there's a lot more POC characters. There's a lot more uh, LGBTQ characters. Um, just, I really want people to, to go look at this stuff because it is, it is possible to do this and Pathfinder two is doing it and they're doing it better. And the books are all amazing. I have been a, I'm a big fan of Pathfinder. The only reason I haven't been trying to get these guys to play Pathfinder with me is that it is harder to get into. It's not impossible to get into, but let's face it. D and D beyond is an amazing tool. It 100% amazing. I mean, uh, so much. Yeah. Liz, has, Liz has been using it. What, what do you think of it?
2: Uh, it's fantastic. It lets you create characters really easy. Like um, I'm running a game where we just added uh, a new character, Liz Pat. And she, I don't know what her experience in D&D is, but it's not a lot. And she just got to go in and the character creator like walks you through things. And we talked about it a little bit, but not a lot. You can just get started. Like, she created her character on Thursday, we played on Friday, and it was really easy. And And haven't you,
1: like, you've got a lot of stuff there, and I think you share it mm -hmm. with your campaign. So it means that people can not even don't even need to own the books. As long as you own the books, they can use them in their campaign. As long as you invite Mm -hmm. them to the campaign.
2: Yeah, you do have to subscribe to D&D Beyond for that, but it's really convenient if you're running a game. Or, um, I do the same with our blizzard watch games so everyone in the campaign can see the book and use the options in the book in this kind of automated system Mm -hmm. uh and i've also used their encounter generator which is like instead of going through like five books having five books out of monsters i can search a list of monsters and i can say okay i want this i want this challenge rating, i want this size and i can just pick them out and put them on a list and when it comes to fighting i have a list of characters in the encounter and a list of NPCs in the encounter, and you just plug in the initiatives, and it will go through it and track health and all of these things, and it just makes it a lot easier. It it's just it, really simple to jump in with little or no experience and just play.
1: So that's the one thing I would love. I mean, it's I think it's hard because I, I don't think Paizo is a much smaller company. Let's be upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're big for a TTRPG company. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in the field, most companies in TTRPG that aren't Wizards of the Coast have to basically crowdfund everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like semi-big ones like Onyx Path, which has all the White Wolf properties, they don't do anything unless they crowdfund it. And I've got the Exalted 3rd Edition over there, which is another game I'd love to get us to play. But Exalted 3rd Edition is like if you took all three of the main D&D books and combined them into one book, it's like 1,200 pages
0: We've, we've gotten some requests to talk about Exalted, so you better believe that we'll be talking about Exalted at some
1: point. But it is it is enormous. It is very hard for me to tell a group, okay, we're going to play Exalted, which is why I'm happy they're doing the Exalted Essence book, which is much like a stripped-down version. And I think more games should do that, quite frankly. I would Both agree. D&D and Pathfinder have beginner's boxes, so that's cool. But, but it's yeah, still I just, a lot. Yeah, it is still a lot. That, but that's you know, I just wanted to say that in terms of diversity and inclusiveness... The hobby needs to get better. At some point, I really want to talk about the combat wheelchair, but I think we're kind of at the point where we should wrap it up yeah otherwise
0: oh, yeah you know. we're getting there <laughs> uh before i get into the the outro i do want to thank the folks that have sent us questions uh we will be answering them uh this is just happened to be uh, a lot of stuff to talk about and we're very happy to do so uh, yeah it's
1: a get to you we wanted you to get to know us too yeah know,
0: so. absolutely uh and why you should be uh why you should listen to us uh and i can tell you right now that i the first question i'm gonna ask next week is why you should consider being getting into a tabletop RPG because I think that's a good topic. Um, so I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to our podcast, better chance at having our question answered uh, on the podcast or the queue, and ads free site experience. And again, if you do have questions for this cast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them podcast at podcast.blizzardwatch.com or one of our various Discord channels. Uh, Matt, Liz, any parting
1: thoughts for our audience? We'll start with Matt. Uh yeah, basically keep stay tuned because this is going to get interesting. We have a ton of stuff we want to talk about. More than we can cram into like one episode. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch what happens. Liz? Uh
2: so I do want to say this is going to be a once a month podcast at least. For now I'd really like to do it more. Um but we're going to be here once a month and we're going to alternate with our play podcasts and they're both going to be on Saturday afternoons. Uh at this time, So this is why you should tune in. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to be expanding our TTRPG content over here.
0: And not to be uh, constantly shilling, but if this is something that you want to hear more of, you want us to see us expand our coverage, uh, maybe consider uh, tossing something our way over on Patreon, uh, because that is how we fund this and make this happen. Uh, but with that, folks, I want to thank you very much for joining us on our first episode of Tavern Watch and we'll see you next month.